Well, good evening, friends. How are we doing tonight? Oh, come on. Anybody tired yet? Kind of not really. Maybe Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 1, is where we're going to be at tonight. Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 1, is where we are going to be starting tonight. I'll give you a couple seconds to get there again. I did not speak. Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 1, is where we are going to be starting tonight. I'll give you a couple seconds to get there. Daniel chapter 3. I got to be honest with you, I love the Crocs. That's my thing. Like, I love Crocs. I have Crocs. And I see, like, a lot of Crocs this week. It's great. I know. Have you guys seen the boots, like the Croc boots that go up to, like, right here? Asking for Christmas. Let's cross our fingers. Um, Daniel chapter 3, again, starting in verse 1 is where we're going to be at tonight. And while you get there, um, a little bit about myself. So I've shared a couple stories uh, of my life, and today you're going to hear a little bit about how I grew up. Uh, And so I don't know if this is uh, just an experience that I've had or if uh, other people have as well, but uh, I remember the first time that I realized that I existed. Uh, Does anybody remember that, like the moment that you were like, oh, I'm a person? Like you have a thought or you have like some kind of, again, just like epiphany where you're like, oh man, like what is this? It's life. Uh, I was, as to the best of my ability as I try and remember these things, I was uh, somewhere between the age of one and five. Uh, And I remember standing uh, or leaning or sitting or crawling, I can't remember, in a hallway. I remember staring uh, down a dark hallway uh, and I remember there being a door at the end of this hallway. I remember there being a lot of loud noises Uh, And so I walked uh, down this hallway, and I knew that something wasn't right. Uh, I just immediately realized that there was something wrong, couldn't tell what it was, but I go all the way to the end of this hallway, I go up to the door, and on the other side of the door, I hear yelling. Uh, I hear fighting, I hear screaming, and I would come to realize that uh, this was my father uh, yelling at my mom. And I didn't realize uh, what he was saying. I didn't have like the idea or the, I don't, like, the brain capacity to put words together. Uh, but I just remembered that it was not okay. Uh, a couple uh, years go by, I guess, and I am growing up as a child, and I quickly realized that my father uh, was an abusive dad. Uh, my dad was an alcoholic. And so I grew up in a home where my father, unfortunately, uh, he put his hands on me and my siblings often. Uh, I was uh, constantly hit. Uh, My sister had her earrings ripped out of her ears numerous times. Uh, On top of that, uh, again, just like story after story I could get into, but just to kind of like, how do I say this, like get the point home. Uh, This is how fearful we were living with my dad. Uh, We at one point in time resolved to sleeping in the living room on a mattress with sharp objects underneath our pillows in case he decided to do something to harm us. Uh, And so this was my early years of growing up. Uh, I remember uh, whatever age I was, thinking about eight or nine years old, my mom decided that this is not the home that we wanted to, she wanted to raise us in. And so one night in the middle of the night, my mom uh, loaded up the car, put us in it, and then drove us out of town. Uh, And that is where I ended up in Bakersfield, California. Now, in Bakersfield, uh, I did not have any family. We didn't know anyone. We didn't have any friends whatsoever. Uh, And so we ended up living in the Bakersfield homeless shelter for about a year and a half. 
And so I know what it's like, unfortunately, as a nine-year-old at that time, uh, what it is like to sleep next to a stranger. Uh, I know what it's like to go from having uh, much to having literally nothing. Uh, I know what it is like to uh, go to school uh, without having nice clothes and then feeling shame and guilt because I couldn't invite my friends to my home on the weekend to play video games. This was my elementary school experience. I remember uh, after that time period, my mom got a job, and uh, we were able to move, and we uh, moved into a motel on what is widely considered to be uh, the most dangerous uh, street in my city. Uh, This motel that we lived in was, and I'm not kidding, uh, a little smaller than the stage that I stand on. Uh, It was myself, my mom, my brother, and my sister. We had no TV. We had no games. We had nothing but a mattress in this living room, and we were trying to survive. Uh, Years go by, that's where I spent my junior high years, and as I continued to go to school, I uh, pretended to be somebody that I wasn't. I was this loud, um, obnoxious, charismatic person, uh, hoping that people wouldn't see through my mask and ask questions about what my home life was. Uh, Years go by, and I'm about to get into high school. Uh, At this time, my mom gets another job, and she's able to move us again. Uh, And this time, it's in a neighborhood now, but at this time, it's in a neighborhood that is uh, also considered to be one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the city that I live in. And so my early high school years were spent falling asleep to the sound of sirens and gang violence. And I remember the day that my brother came home and his face was beaten and he had drugs on him because he had just been jumped into a gang. I have had a very, very very challenging life that has been filled with trials. But I can honestly say, like I have from the beginning of my time spent with you this week, that these trials that I still face today have formed me into the person that I am today. And I can also say with complete confidence that I would not love God and I would not depend on him like I do if it had not been for the trials that I have gone through again in my life. What is a trial? A trial is a challenge that is meant to test or build your faith. If you're taking notes, that's a good one. A trial is a challenge that is meant to test or build your faith. There are many benefits that come with trials such as maturing your faith, such as exposing unbelief in your hearts, such as increasing your dependence on God. And as we continue to unpack the theme for the week, tonight we're going to consider how we can live with resilience for God as you face the unfortunate reality that you will suffer in your trials. Let's pray. Lord, you say that we ought to expect tribulation and trials. And so, Father, as we spend tonight addressing a heavy subject, talking about what it is going to be like for us as we grow up to deal with things that are hard and sad and painful that might try and bring about shame and guilt and depression and anxiety, Lord, would your word cut through all of the noise into the deepest parts of our soul and remind us that you are good, that you are near, and that ultimately, like we have been saying since day one, that you are in control. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, 
Everybody said, amen. Amen. Uh, If you've noticed, we bypassed chapter two. So we went all the way through chapter one in Daniel and we bypassed chapter two. I had you turn to chapter three and the reason for that is because we wanna focus a lot of our attention tonight on the events that take place in chapter three. However, uh, for the sake of just keeping you in the loop and you uh, understanding the full story of Daniel, I'm gonna go ahead and do my best to summarize chapter two for you. And so this may be like my, my shameless plug, like maybe a challenge for you. Uh, if you're during, like doing your jam time or later on throughout the day or at some point this week, if you want to go ahead and go through chapter two on your own and just read that chapter to see if you can find some cool details in there, I commend it to you. Uh, but this morning, we ended our time in chapter one of Daniel, and we were learning about how Daniel and his friends, by the grace of God, they were standing before King Nebuchadnezzar, wiser, healthier, and more skilled than than anyone in Babylon, more, more skilled and more wise than the wine, the wise men and even their own peers. And in chapter two, the king, like we saw in the video today, he has a confusing dream that greatly troubles him. King Nebuchadnezzar does. And he seeks his wise men and he expects them to tell him what it was, uh, what his dream was, and then not just necessarily that, but also what it means. Now, I want you to understand this. This is impossible. How many of you have ever had a dream where your like, emotions kind of carry through as you wake up? Anybody in here? Any, any like adults in here like have a bad dream about your spouse and you wake up and you're like, I cannot believe you would do that. I've done it. I've been married for four years and I had to check myself. And so can you imagine if you have a dream and you wake up and then you uh, call your homie and you're like, hey, I had a really bad dream and I want you to tell me what that dream was. And then on top of that, I want you to tell me what it means. Do you think they would be able to? Not, with, not unless they had the, the insight and the wisdom of God. It's impossible. And yet this is what King Nebuchadnezzar asks of his wise men. And so they fail because, again, it is not possible. And so in his fury and his rage, which is going to be a theme that we see over the course of the next couple messages, he commands that all of the wise men in Babylon be killed. And unfortunately, this includes Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So when Daniel hears this, he prays that God would not only just show him the dream, but he would show him the interpretation. And God, in his grace, does Daniel then tells the king the dream, and this was the dream. He saw a statue of a large person who had his head of gold. His arms were made of silver. His stomach was of bronze, and his legs were a mixture of iron and clay. The way that I I think about this, and I don't know about you, maybe this is just me, but I think about like Power Rangers, if you're like a Power Ranger fan, you know how they have like the Zords that come together and make like a giant thing, yeah? Like this is what I think about when I think about the dream. Again, the head was made of gold, the arms were made of silver, the stomach, the the mid part of this, the body that he saw in this dream was made of bronze, and then his legs were a mixture of clay and iron, And he tells the king each metal part of the body was a different kingdom that would eventually be ruined by a large stone that represented, guess what, God's kingdom. The gold head was Babylon, the place where they were exiled. Eventually, it would be destroyed, and in due time, God's kingdom would come. Now, let's answer this question. What is God's kingdom? God's kingdom... It is the rule and reign of God over his creation where his commandments are obeyed, 
He alone is worshiped as God and king and his power is displayed through the destruction of evil and all that remains is the presence of all things that he considers good. Daniel says that God's kingdom will come and Nebuchadnezzar's will end. And Nebuchadnezzar is shocked by this because it is surprisingly accurate. And his response in the end of chapter 2 ends on a high note. It's hopeful. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, the one that's in charge of Babylon, where they are worshiping dozens of dozens of gods. He says this of the true God of the universe. He says, truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. And so we're pumped, we're excited. We're saying, hey, maybe the king got a change of heart. Let's see what happens. This is Daniel chapter three, verse one. The Bible says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 60, or six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so all of those people are just incredibly important, powerful people that are in Babylon that serve underneath the king. Let's go down to verse 3 at the very end and see what he has them do. The end of verse 3 says, And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse four, and the herald proclaimed, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And so immediately, Following the interpretation of this dream, Nebuchadnezzar, he has, this is not a coincidence, a golden statue made. Now, we don't know what this statue is. It could have been of him. It could have been of one of the gods that they worshipped. But regardless, it's an issue. The Bible says that this statue was over 100 feet tall or just about, which is the length, and I looked this up, this is terrifying to me, which is about the length of a full-grown blue whale. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those like modeled in an aquarium, but it's enormous. Absolutely. He also says that it's built outside of the city. Did you catch that? It's not in Babylon. It's outside of Babylon. And he did this for the sake of allowing everyone that was surrounding the nation of Babylon that wanted to, they could come and worship this statue as well. And so the point was, this isn't just the God of Babylon this is a God that oversees everyone. And again, this statue was made entirely of gold. And so if you remember the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, Babylon's portion, the head, was of gold. And so in building this statue, the king was trying to make the point that his kingdom, Babylon, is most powerful, is most important, and more so than those, would last forever. He was confident that no kingdom, even God's, would not come after because he would not allow it. And when the people bowed to the statue, they were saying with their actions that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, 
was supreme ruler with all authority forever. Now what I want you to understand is that the main issue in this is not the fact that the king just constructed a statue. Although that is wrong, that's not the main issue. The real issue is what the building of the statue exposed of the king's heart. In chapter two, Daniel, he correctly interprets the king's dream. And remember what the king said in response to that. He said, truly, your God is God of gods and he is Lord of kings. And we're led to believe that again, maybe he has this change of heart. And we see here clearly that that is not the case. And so don't miss this. What the king did, how he lived The decisions that he made revealed what he really believed about himself and about God. God was one of many powerful gods, but not as powerful as him. God's will was important, but not as important as his. And so again, how the king lived revealed what he really believed about himself and about God. And so friends, hear me, the same is true for you. Do we say that we love God, but never really obey him? It reveals what is true in our hearts. Do we say that we believe God, but we never trust him? It reveals what is true of our hearts. Do we say that we worship God, but we spend our lives clearly valuing things like money, pride, and opinions more than him? It reveals what is really in our hearts. Can you relate to the king? Let's see what happens with Nebuchadnezzar, starting in verse 6. Scripture says, and whoever does not fall down, this is what Nebuchadnezzar says, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the people's nations and languages fell down and worshiped the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Uh, Anybody in here ever been burned before? Anybody in here ever been burned before? Okay, hands down. Um, Now, I am not the I'm not the person, I don't know if this is like going to be news to anybody, but I'm not, I don't like pain. Like, that's not my thing. And so I would constantly have students over the course of my ministry come up to me and say, hey, JD, like, I really want to, like, go, let's go paintball. Like, like, like airsofting together. I don't even know if that's a verb, right? I just created it. Let's go, like, let's go shoot little pebbles at each other and call it fun, right? Like, like, and I have always declined because, again, I'm not a fan of pain. I don't like boxing. I don't like wrestling. Like, football is probably the furthest that I'll go with that, but it's, I'm just not a fan, right? Uh, I've never broken a bone. Uh, I've sprained my ankle once, and it hurt a lot. But other than that, like, I've never uh, really been injured. Uh, this, that, that changed, um, what I would consider changed, uh, this past December. Uh, I went camping with some friends, and uh, we go up to the mountains, and I actually think it was on this, the side of this mountain, uh, and it's a great time. It was snowing. We had an awesome time. We were, like, spending time uh, eating food and watching movies. It was awesome, uh, but one night, we start a fire, and my wife goes inside, and she says, hey, JD, can you, or say, hey, babe, can you uh, put out the, or can you stoke the fire, right? Can, like, we were going to stay out there for a little bit longer, and so she's like, can you just move the logs around to make sure that the fire keeps going, and so I go outside, and I'm like, yeah, babe, I'm going to be a man. I'm going to go stoke this fire. I didn't even really know what that meant. And I was like, I'm going to go stoke this fire. I assumed it meant move the logs around. I go outside and uh, the, the little like metal thing that you use to move the wood is right there. It's literally right there. And I go, 
I don't need that. And I go over to the fire pit. And again, this fire is like not enormous, but there's some like cinder stuff going on and it's still really hot. It was in like one of those dryer drums. And uh, I'm like, you know what? It's dark out here. I can't really see, but I'm sure that if I just move it with my hand, that'll be fine. This is how I think, y'all. Like, this is how I think. I was like, I'm just gonna move it with my hand and I'll be fine. And so this is what happens. I get close to the fire, I take my hand, specifically my thumb, because I, like, I was like, that's safer for whatever reason, and I, I, I press, thinking that I was pushing against the log. To my immediate terror, I realized that that was not the log, it was the actual dryer drum. And so I, pre- and now like, I'm not just tapping, like I press with force, and it, like, it was so, like, it hurt so bad, and it was so hot, I pressed, and then I tried to pull it, and guess what? It stuck. And so I'm like, I was there for a cool, I'm not lying, it was there for like a cool like second and a half, like two seconds. And that might not seem like a long time. But when you touch something really hot like that, it's a long time. And so I'm there doing this thing, I pull it off, I'm crying, I'm not kidding, I'm crying, I run inside the cabin, like immediately my thumb like swells up to the size of like a plum. And I go to my wife and I'm like, babe, help, right? And she's like, for whatever reason, she's like, get the mustard and the aluminum foil, because apparently that works. Anybody in here can attest to that? Like, okay, apparently that works. And so she like puts mustard on my thumb, wraps it in aluminum foil, and she's like, you'll be fine. And uh, she didn't want to drive me down to the hospital. That's what what it really was. But she's like, you'll be fine. And my thumb, can I tell y'all, like if you've ever, if you've ever been burned before, it hurts y'all. And it hurts a lot. It hurts a lot. If you can hear my voice clap once. I'm gonna, this is gonna sound cliche. That's what it's like when you play with fire. And so the consequence, if we think back to, to the book of Daniel, the consequence for refusing to bow to this statue, it was a brutal death reserved for only the worst rebels to be burned alive. Listen, you would be engulfed in flames inside of a tall cylinder-like oven that was used to make bricks. And it even had a window on the outside so you could see the fire inside. The music sounds. Every knee hits the ground. Every forehead touch the floor, except for three. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, Daniel wasn't required to be at the statue, so he's not in this account. But the king is immediately notified. He has the three rebels brought into his presence and threatens to murder them if they do not bow. We're picking this up in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. And so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the image that I have made for you. Well and good, you'll be fine. I'll spare you. This is your last chance. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And so obviously, 
Obviously, no one previously thrown into this fire pit would have survived. And so the king, in a mocking, confident way, he says, which God is powerful enough to save you? Because listen, I worship at least 53, and I can guarantee you none of them are going to get you out of this situation. Which one? People that do not know God do not understand the power of God. I'll say it again. People that do not know God do not understand the power of God. The king had no confidence in God because he is not real to them. Sorry, to him. This is why he continues to say of God, this is your God. This is the God. This is this God. Let's see what happens of the three. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, and this is like one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said this to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you. I'm not going to waste my breath. I'm not going to waste the lung space that I have. I'm not going to answer back to you. We have no need to answer you. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. O king, but if not. If you have a Bible, some, some of your translations might say, even if. Please circle it if you do that. But if not, even if. Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is the interesting part of this verse that a lot of people glance over. This is the only space in the entire Bible where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego talk. It's the only time that any of their words are recorded. And so I think that this is intentional so that way there's like an emphasis on how important this message was. They essentially said three things. Number one, they were confident that God had the power to save them. Number two, they were hopeful that he would. And then number three, even if he did not, they wouldn't bow. They did not know what God would choose to do. And friends, most often in life, you'll come to find out that you won't either. But they knew what they would do. I'll say it again if you want to take that note down. They did not know what God would do, but they knew what they would. God, give us this resolve. Even if I'm healed or if not, even if I'm hungry or not, even if they leave or if not, even if they pass or if not, even if I'm broke or not, even if it hurts or not, I do not know what God will do, but I know what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to lift my head and I'm going to trust God. I'm going to have confidence in him. I'm going to lift my voice in worship and I'm going to sing regardless of what my situation looks like. I'm going to lift my hands and I'm going to move my feet and I'm going to serve the Lord with all that I have. I don't know what God will do. I don't know if he's going to deliver me from this. I don't know if he's going to take me out of the fire. I don't know if he's going to save them or heal them, but I know that I'll be faithful. Let's see what the king's response to this is. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. 
And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats. He did not give them a chance to change, and their garments. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Now because the king ordered, or his order was urgent, and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they fell bound into the fiery furnace. And then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered to the king, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then the three of them came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. And so God decided to intervene. Not only is there no evidence of harm done to them, but the king saw a fourth person in the fire. We're going to discover, believe it or not, who this person is tomorrow. But for the purpose of this message, we have to answer a very important question. Why is it that God chose to save them? Why did God choose to save them? I'll help you out. Here's three of the points that I came up with. The first one is this, he wanted to. The first one is this, he wanted to. And I don't want to talk about this too often or too much because we talked about this enough yesterday, but this is the point that I do want to leave you with. God's uh, command for us is not to understand everything that happens in life. His command for us is to trust him. And so he wanted to. Number two, it would make him known in verse 27, it says that those that were gathered around came and saw the people led out of the fire unharmed. And so God did it for his own glory, again, to make himself known, to make himself famous. And then lastly, and this is important, he responded to their faithfulness. He responded to their faithfulness. And so I can't ignore the clear teachings in the Bible that talk about people in the scriptures who experience God's salvation in response to their faithfulness. God could not save them if they did not need saving. But the point of this passage is not to give us some kind of formula or a prayer or a verse that would somehow pull God's strings and cause him to act according to our will. Let me remind you of the faithful followers' response to trials. Number one, we are confident that God has the power to save us. Number two, we are hopeful that he will. But number three, even if he doesn't, and instead chooses to use our trial to grow our faith, for our good and others' good and for his glory, we will not bow. This is the last verse and then we'll be done for tonight. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered, and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. 
and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins for there is no other God who is able to rescue them. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. He said earlier, who is this God who is able to save you from my, my hands? the king would come to know that it was the true God of the universe. If obedience to the king meant disobedience to God, they were gonna be thrown in the fire every time. And so the truth is, if you love the Lord, please hear me, if you love the Lord, if you're committed to your relationship with God, you're gonna face moments like this. And maybe it's not you being thrown into a fiery furnace if you don't bow down to a metal object but it will certainly come in the form of people or the devil pressuring you to choose the easy road where you can be quiet about your faith and avoid suffering. And so how do we live with resilience to God knowing that life will be filled with heartache, pain, and suffering? Three verses, and then I'm praying. The first one is this, expect them. Expect them, write this down. First Peter chapter four, verse 12. First Peter chapter four, verse 12. It says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Expect them. Number two, remember the impact trials have on us. James chapter one, verse two through four. James chapter one, verse two through four says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And then lastly, number three, suffering reminds us that it won't be forever. Speaking of heaven, in the book of Revelation chapter 21, verse four, Revelation chapter 21, verse four, the Bible says God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Um, God, thank you for meeting us here in this space. I can only imagine with a room this size and the amount of people sitting in here that uh, we're all going through something, um, regardless of how painful it might be. Uh, we know that life is hard. We know that the devil is real. We know that sin is contagious and destructive. And so we pray, God, now that you would meet us where we are. God, help us to persevere in our trials. Help us to be faithful in our trials as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. We just pray that you would be glorified through all of it. In Jesus' name we pray, all of God's people say, amen. amen.